You look hungry. Tell the person you look hungry. Now you know what I mean. <laughs> you look hungry for spiritual food. Uh, God will satisfy you. You are not greeting somebody, just standing straight. Tell the person you look hungry. You are going to be fed. Welcome to the feast. Welcome to the feast. <laughs> All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Our Father, we thank you because you have heard us. We are released into this atmosphere today, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of understanding. And Lord, we partake of it in the name of Jesus Christ. And by faith, we declare as follows. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 I said amen. Amen. Now that will be your portion today in the name of Jesus. I said that will be your portion in the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord will give you understanding. He will give you illumination. He will make everything that is wrong in your life right. By the entrance of the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus we have prayed. Alright, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. Okay, now let's open our Bibles. Let's quickly get into the teaching for today. Again, we go to the book of John chapter 15. Perfecting the Lord's saints, or the Lord's vessels. That's what we've been looking at. We said there is 30-fold, there is 60, and there is a 100-fold. That was what the Lord Jesus told us. These things come in different levels. There is 30-fold, there is 60-fold, and there is a 100-fold. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Now, what I, want, what I want us to note again today is the basis upon which we get results, the basis upon which we are fruitful. He said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Notice the way they were cleansed. It was through the word spoken. He said, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, please notice verse 7, very important. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, 
I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your, your joy may be made full. Now I'm going to stop reading here. That's, what, that's the portion I've been reading again and again. I want to just bear that in mind. This is our main text, talking about perfecting the Lord's uh, vessels. What God wants is a hundredfold result. We have established that. He gave minas to different one of his servants. He said, do business with this until I come. One of them came back and said, your mina master has made ten more. And he said, well done, good and faithful slave or faithful servant. That's what he wanted, for somebody to produce the tenfold result. That is in that context. In other context, it's a hundredfold. What God wants is that maximum productivity in our lives as the children of God, as his servants. Please, let's bear those things in mind. Now, what I'm bringing out on today is how we actually, all right, should I call it um, the grace for fruitfulness? Yes, I think that's a good expression. Let's call it the grace for fruitfulness. Because what happens sometimes is that when you lay a great demand on God's behalf, on the people of God, is they become, you know, human beings come under pressure. How do I attain to this level that you are talking about? Last time we explained that pruning is what God does is here. And that what stops one person from going from one level to another is the lack of pruning that occurs. Now please bear that in mind. That is, it is not as if we work hard to get from 30 to 60. And if we're on 60, we will personally work hard to move on to a hundredfold. No. What we said will happen is that pruning. It is the pruning that we get involved in. It is as we are being pruned that the fruitfulness comes out automatically. You cannot, now let me say this to you again. You cannot set a goal for God. It is not possible. You cannot. You don't know exactly what he's doing. You cannot set a goal that I'm going to win a hundred thousand souls for God before I die or in this ministry. You can't set that goal. You can have that desire, but you really cannot set a goal for him. He knows what he's doing and you don't know what he's doing. It's what I say that again. He knows what he's doing. You don't know exactly what he's doing. What you know is what you are supposed to do in each moment in each season of your life. And as you know, all of us believers should bear that in mind. We must try our best to identify our assignment for each season and prove faithful in the assignment of each season. That is one thing Christians must understand. You must try to identify the assignment for each season and prove faithful in the assignment for each season. For example, you're a student. The assignment for most people, or if you're in university, is study. Show for the excellence of God. Are you getting my point? Yeah, that's the first assignment. Of course, you know, one of the things you do as a believer, all right, in showing for God excellence is know the, tra- or how, which word do I use now? Know the demands made of everybody generally in that season and do the best with the, with the spirit of God inside you to show that your God indeed is a God of excellence. So that, for example, if I'm in school, I go to my class regularly. Are you getting my point? I go there. I make sure I'm there on time. I study. Not with human flesh now, but with the Spirit of God. I engineer my success with God's word. 
For example, I not, I'm not the type that will rise up very early and go to bed very late, thereby eating the bread of sorrows. But I, you know, the Bible says that redeeming the time because the days are evil. So I make sure that I redeem the time. That is, I don't waste time when students are gathering and talking and talking fruitlessly. Sometimes, like we said last time, I may have to prune watching football. There's something I tell students, I tell my students, and I tell young people a lot of times. I even told my son. I said, listen, I will get you a smartphone. That's our deal that time. Okay? <laughs> I said, but, going to university, there must, be, there must not be Facebook on it. It's an agreement. You want a smartphone, you will get it, but no, no Facebook. You, they said, don't do Facebook. One day we had a good, we sat down. I said, let me tell you what they call social media. It's not just this chat, you are, young people are chatting. Let me explain what it means. It means your whole life is being released for the whole world to see. Do you get my point? If you go somewhere and you put it on Instagram, everybody knows where you went. <laughs> you get my, do you like it like that? That you have no secrets, you have no privacy? I don't think you should like it. So we discussed some of those things, but I said to him, I am not saying don't do Facebook. And I tell a lot of young people, my students, when I'm teaching university, I tell them the same thing. I personally advise, don't put Facebook on your phone. I told my son, did I say you shouldn't do Facebook? No. I gave him the rules. I gave him the, um, uh, the, the not really rules, just counsel about what life is about. How not to throw your whole life out there for everybody to see. I said, but if you want to go on Facebook, please, make sure it's only when you open a computer. Now, what's my logic? My logic is, the Bible says, be wise, you know. Don't be foolish. He said, um, how does he say it? Redeeming the time because what? The days are evil. God has refused to stretch 24 hours for us. It's still 24 hours. So you have to be wise in how you get the maximum utility out of 24 hours. So that little tricks, you know, you use, you know. There's one the pastor Kumi said, said those days. He went to university when federal government used to feed university students virtually free of charge. You buy meal tickets, but the food was so cheap and all of that. He said, so... It, feeding time, the, the, the dining halls were guaranteed to be full. So he used to do something so as not to waste time. If lunch is between 1 and, let's say, 2.30, he will go at 2.20. Why? He's sure most people will have finished and they will have gone. There will be no queue. He will walk up there and be there for just a few minutes. He said, but if you come early, you either come very early or you go late. So that you get in and you get out. He said, if you go the time most people go, you find yourself on a very long queue. You find yourself talking and talking and talking. So you waste a lot of time. So the man made up his mind that what he will do to save time, all right, just go towards the end. Most of them will have left. Now, I'm not saying that's how you should eat your food. I'm just trying to explain that. That's a trick a man used to save time because he had only 24 hours as a student in the university. Sometimes you ask people that, okay, what, what time do I have for this? People ask me questions like that sometimes. How are you combining this and this and that? I said, listen, somebody asked me that this morning. I said, I just choose the things that I do. Now, what I'm going to say, so as a student, you may say, this is my assignment for now, all right? I need to prove faithful. I need to show the excellence of God in the things that I do. I need to prove faithful. So I go, I read my books. I don't say the world is coming to an end, so I shouldn't go for lectures. That is one foolish thing you hear Christians do sometimes say. Why would you say that? I'm not saying you are wrong, but what are you doing in school? Just withdraw and go. But once you are in school, you have to do what you are supposed to do. You are getting my logic. So you understand that as as an example. Everybody has a season in life. Try and find out what exactly God wants you to do in that season. I like to give myself an example once in a while. What will tomorrow be like, I really don't know for sure. 
What am I doing today? All of you are witnesses. Are you getting my point? So we keep teaching, we keep teaching, we keep teaching. We look for every opportunity to teach. We put any door that opens, we walk into it, and we do the same thing. We teach, we keep teaching, we keep teaching. What God will use it for, uh, let me use the expression we say, is his own problem. Are you getting my point? Not my problem. And many times I get testimonies of what he has used this work that we are all doing together here for. And I'm glad but we didn't plant it. So Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He was the one giving the increase. So you see that you don't know exactly what he's doing ultimately. So what you need to do is to learn what you are supposed to do each season. Let me say something to you. Many times people are making decisions. It's like the future of my children, the future of my children is an insult to God. And I said that many times to you. It's an insult. What God saying to you is, what is the assignment for today? People will just look, you know, create an expectation of evil for their tomorrow and start making critical decisions about life today. Someone will say today now, so that my children can get a good job. They will sell the land they have in Abuja, send the one they have in Enugu, and send them to a very expensive school so that boy can get a good job in 20 years' time. If you're a Christian, it's a good sign that you don't believe anything. You are planning for too many uncertainties. I hope you are getting my point here. You know, let me give a, just give a practical example. How many of you know, of course, we all know Steve Jobs, all right? The man that started Apple. You know, he it was an adopted child, okay? The parents that he grew up with were not his best parents. The people you call his father and his mother, they were not his best parents. They adopted him. But they knew his best mother. He met his best father much later in life, okay? Now, his, the woman that gave birth to him said something. When this couple wanted to adopt this little boy, he, she, he, he, now she gave them a condition that I will allow you to adopt my son on one condition that the boy must go to university. <laughs> I hope you are getting my point. Now, why? Why did she say that? She said that she believed that, of course, she had a child out of wedlock. It was a, a child born out of wedlock and all of that. Now, she believed that her life was the way it was. Her life was hard because she didn't go to university. So she said, okay, if this child can go to college, and like Americans say it, then his life would be better. So you have to promise me that this child will go to college. And for them, you must understand, it's a great promise because it's expensive. Do you understand? So, make a long story short, to let you know that when you make some plans, you no, know, the guy went and he didn't finish. His parents, now his adopted parents made him go. And one day he came home and explained to them that he's tired. And they told him that, sorry, you can't be tired. The condition <laughs> given to us before they agreed to give you to us was that you must go to university. It was not a talk of war. But this one I want to bring out. In the season in which he lived, if you go and check, all of them were about the same age. He um, Larry Ellison, Bill Gates, you understand? Count all those, those men. They lived in a season where the digital age was exploding. They lived in a particular season. Uh, you understand? And you see many of them dropped out of school. Please, let's get it clear. They're not the typical kind of dropout we see around here. I've seen people, why didn't you finish school? I got tired of reading. I just, <laughs> I just, you know, we left school. School went on break. Then when they resumed, I didn't go back. Why didn't you go back? And the fellow till now is doing nothing. I've seen all kinds of things. Some say, Holy Spirit, I should don't go back. I say, what work has Holy Spirit given you all these years? You hear all kinds of things. So some people, people will be bragging. Bill Gates was a dropout. Bill Gates was a dropout. It's not your kind of dropout, my brother. Do you get my point? He dropped out and became the richest man in the world 
He held that title for almost 20 years. I can't quickly remember the length of time he held it now. Until recently, he held the title. It's just that, of course, occasionally he would drop. He and about three other men were exchanging it among themselves between him and um, Warren Buffett and uh, Carlos Slim and all of that. It's only recently that um, this man of Amazon just dusted everybody and everybody stepped down. <laughs> Do you understand? Now, he became the richest man in the world. He wasn't idle. He didn't drop out because he was tired of school. He dropped out because he was too busy. I hope you're getting my point. He dropped out because he was busy. Things were already happening. They were already coding. They were already you know, starting to do software business. So he did school. He had to read. And he had to code. So the man said to suspend the school so he could do his business. Same that happened with Michael Dell. Michael Dell was in school. His father sent him to school. He came back home one day and told his father, please, can I leave school? The father said, why? That this my computer business is, is moving too fast. The father now gave him some targets that if you can meet this target, then I will know you are serious. You can leave. So when they, say, when they tell you that Michael Dell is a school dropout, he didn't fail. Get it clear? He did not fail. It's not because uh, he couldn't pass, so he didn't go back, or nobody paid the school fees. No. Dell Computers was taking his time. So he needed more time. So he left. I just wanted to drop that for people to understand. Okay? Because I've seen people write st- stupid books. If you want to make it in life, don't go to school. Have you heard that thing before? And they now make a hype of it. Jobless boys, they're like, yeah, people like us have become billionaires. Ten years later, they are poorer than when they were in school. So I know we need to redefine things properly. One young man gave me a book to help him read once. I went through it. I said, what, what, who told, told you this nonsense? Wrote in a book. Said, you don't need school. If you want to be rich in this life, don't go to school. School will, will warp your knowledge. I said, small boy like you, what do you know about life? You know, there are things you don't write at certain ages. You can't be 20 and be writing that rubbish. You don't even know what life is about. <laughs> if I want to hear that, let me hear from 60-year-old men who have gone through life. But that, that's just by the way. Now, let me get back to where I went into all of that. So, this man, he dropped out of school and became a man we are talking about here today. Now, what am I going to say? You see that the plan his mother made didn't work. That's why I went to all of that. That this boy must go to university so that, you know, uh, it didn't work. Look, it didn't work out the way he planned it. So Christians, there's a way we reason also that, listen, we have to be careful. There's a way we plan. We just know. God just knows that. Listen, he has at least allowed you to make this plan to show to you that you have no faith. You want to know where your faith is? Check what you are sacrificing for what? Are you getting my point? Listen, there's nothing, listen, there's nothing wrong with getting a foreign degree. I'm not saying it's wrong. Are you getting my point? I mean, local degree, foreign degree, degree is degree. So you, you know, you now do it where you like to do it. So if you're the type that have so much money, you want to go and get degrees anyway, it's not a problem. I have no problem with it. For example, there are private universities in Nigeria that are charging some money, not too much, but they are charging some money. Assuming now, I can't afford them really. And I say my son must go there by force. You know, federal government is giving me one next to my house, next for next to nothing. Do you get my point? Then I go to the, I go sell my car, sell my land, borrow money from the bank, so that my son can go to university. I say why? I say because you see, when he comes from there, he will get a good job. It's a sign of unbelief. Why? The investment is too much. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It shows I have a lot of faith in it. 
It shows how you arrange your life. Is a, look, it just reflects to you where your faith is, what you really believe in. You are getting my point here. All right? No. It's when I will get that point. All right? So, so this one is emphasized. So we can't make plans for tomorrow. That's the point I'm making. So Christians, sometimes we show our own belief. Let me say it to us clearly. God has his plan for tomorrow. He has his plan for what? For tomorrow. The, each person has an assignment to locate what he's supposed to do today and do it diligently. You can't plan. That's why when it's all of that, I was trying to say, sometimes we plan too much. We put too much effort into trying to ha- have things arranged our own way. Meanwhile, we cannot decide what tomorrow will be like. We don't know. Let's get it clear. We do not know. So what we just have is that each season, we locate what we are supposed to do and we do it. I'm talking about the grace for fruitfulness. Remember that. That's what I'm talking about today. All right? No. So, how do Christians, how do the children of God produce fruit? Jesus said to us, let's go back to it. That John chapter 15. He said this and what happens? If you abide in me, that's the point. If you abide, which verse is that? No, it's not seven. Okay, yeah, verse five. All right. Verse five. Say, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. That's what I was looking for. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. That's the emphasis here. The secret to bearing fruit is what? Abiding in him. The secret to bearing fruit is not knowing how to bear fruit. The secret is not understanding the principles of fruit bearing. The secret is simple. Abide in him. That's the, that's the issue. Now, how do you abide in him? Bear that in mind. The secret is what? Abide in him. If anybody is not bearing fruit, Jesus said the reason is that he's not abiding. If he's abiding and he's bearing fruit, we have already seen, what the father will do is to prune. And we have seen that we must cooperate with him in the pruning. In fact, Paul said it like this, if we judge ourselves, many times it's possible for you to prune yourself. God allows you to do that. You look into your life, you say, what is taking my effort? That is not giving me the kind of productivity, you understand, that, you know, I'm supposed to have. You know, there's something Mike Mudok said many years ago. He said, where well, I heard him and another minister say it, that there's a place where you are the best. What are you doing where you are average? I hope you're getting my point here. You find there are places that when you put your hand in, you are outstanding. He said, put your efforts in that place more. That way your life will be more outstanding. But if you put so much effort into the places where you are not so outstanding, you find out that you do a lot, but you, you bring forth little. So sometimes as individuals, we go ahead and we prune our lives. But God's it's his assignment, it's his own responsibility to cut off things that we don't even realize are wasting our resources. There are times God will close the door. There are times God will end the relationship. There are times people have been sacked. Do you understand? And it is God pruning them. They've been sacked. And it's God that just said, this place where you are is a good place, but you have too much faith in them. Meanwhile, if you just take your eyes away and put your eyes somewhere else, I will be able to bring more things out of your life. But Jesus said, these things will happen. Don't worry about them. If you just do something, which is what? Abide. So we don't try to bear fruit. We don't. What do we do? Spend our energy doing? Abiding. I like that Psalm 91. 
He said, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall do what? Abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What does that mean? That is, we make the effort to dwell. And how do we do? He said, I will say of the Lord, there are things that you are supposed to do as a Christian just to ensure that you are abiding in Christ. And Jesus said it's like this. If my words abide in you. In summary, this is how you abide in Christ. It is by making the effort to ensure that his words abide in you. I've been around for a while as a Christian. I've read around a bit. And I've experienced life a bit. And I can assure you the most important thing in life is words. It's not effort. It's not energy. It's what? Words. When God wanted to create at the beginning, you know what he said? Let there be. That is the principle of this universe. Creation comes out of words. Productivity comes out of words. Words are very powerful. Words are very powerful. Words heal. Words kill. My friend said, he told him, he called me once, he said, I killed somebody. I said, did you do it? He said, I told the man he would die, and now he's dead. This is an example I've given several times. As an American doctor, they misdiagnosed, now listen, they misdiagnosed a man's ailment. And they told him he had a deadly ailment. Do you understand that? The man was told he had a deadly ailment. That he's going to become, you know, he's going to grow worse. After some months, he's likely to die. The man went, you know, he deteriorated just like the doctor said. And after some months, like the doctor said, he died. Except that they now conducted an autopsy just to satisfy everything was like they thought. And there was nothing wrong with the man. I didn't even watch this on the religious channel or the secular channel where I watched this documentary. It wasn't a Christian doctor that was talking. So the person intervened and said, that, what do you, has that, how did that affect you? He said, since that time, I don't tell people they are going to die anymore. He said, what if they really are going to die? I will tell them the chance they have of living. That if they have a 95% chance of dying, I will tell them you have a 5% chance of living. He said, I focus their eyes on the 5%. You know why Israel could not enter the promised land? What they said. They said, we are not able. So God said, as you have said in my hearing, how they felt was not the issue. It was what they did, what they said. Words are very powerful. When God wanted to save the world, you know what he did? John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What's the next line? The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He sent his word when he found that they needed healing. What did he do? He sent his word and it healed them. That word delivered them from their destructions. I'm trying to emphasize something to us here. Words are very powerful. That's what God packaged everything. Everything he has to do for us in life, they are packaged in words. So, if a Christian wants to succeed in life, where should he put his energy? Uh, energy? Go and listen to the word of God and make it your food. That's it. How do I abide in Christ? That's what I'm talking about. Abiding in Christ is not that I put an extra effort into abiding. 
That is like, how do I abide in Christ? I pray, I pray, I pray. Lord, in you I abide, in you I abide. That's not what it is. How do I abide in Christ? Jesus said, let this word, Paul said like this, let this word of Christ dwell in you, how? Richly. Richly. Please, you see, when I began to teach in ministry, this is where, what I'm teaching today has been the, I go back to it once in a while. That was what I began with. Explain to Christians where they need to put their effort. Please follow what I'm going to say. One, we must bear fruit. Two, we'll be pruned if we are bearing fruit to bear more fruit. How do we bear fruit? I'm reminding us of something. The principle of bearing fruit is abiding in Christ. How do we abide in Christ? Is if his words abide in us. So we have a duty to make sure that the word abides in us. And it's a simple duty. I mean, there's no catch to it. How do I do it? I take my Bible, I read. It's Saturday evening. Manchester United, United is playing. Tell me another person. So I'll keep, I won't keep on saying Real Madrid. Southampton, thank you very much. Southampton is playing Chelsea or Liverpool. And they're starting a match at 4.30. The Bible studies at 5 o'clock. You have a choice to make. You have 500 naira. You can buy an extra meat pie. Or you can buy a book. You have a choice to make. It's that simple. It is that simple. You can make up your mind to be wasting your time every Sunday morning. Because if I stay in this church long enough, one day they will promote me. It's your choice. Or you can go to another church next door where the pastor does not promote people. He has no time to promote anybody. In fact, the most people like John the Baptist. <laughs> when you come, he will abuse you. You can't even come in when you like. If you come late, they block the door. Jonathan won't let you in until he feels like. You can go to that church. But that same pastor, he doesn't miss words. He delivers the hot word of God for two hours every Sunday morning. But he has no plans for your future in that ministry. There's no assistant pastor. There's no head usher. There's no choir self. You know there are churches like that. I used to attend one like that many years ago. That is, there's no assistant pastor. There's no career path for anybody in ministry. You come to that place, it's a dead end for ministry. There's just one man talking, 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 talking. After that, he goes away. He can leave church on a motorbike. You know, there are Christians who, who can attend such churches. They want, look, one day have to be a deacon. They have become what? A senior deacon. They have become chief deacon. They have become assistant pastor. Then one day I have the title pastor. I see that will take them to heaven. Do you know there are some people that their tattoos are the reason why they will die early? I see a lot of Christians. As they are promoting them, I'm shaking my head. See, this guy won't last long. There was a day I saw a man. He was talking on TV. And they called him bishop. And I turned to my wife. I said, this man is not called to ministry. Don't ask me how I know those things. <laughs> Actually, I used to think every Christian knew them. I just asked my wife, this man is not called to ministry. I said, what do I mean? I said, just listen to him. And he was there talking and talking and talking. And his title was bishop. Two years later, he was dead. My wife now remember what I said. I said, I told you that this man is not called to ministry. How I know, don't ask me. I don't have time to discuss it now. Anyway, that's not my message. Let's sit on my message. 
That day, this man was preaching. I just told my wife, pinched my wife. I said, this man is not called to ministry. Two years later, he was dead. And I told my wife, do you know what killed him? The title. Please, don't ever think pastor is a promotion. It's not. Some people will kill cow when they make them pastor. Are you alright? I don't know what to say. I don't know what else to say. Are, are you okay? They ordain you and we are supposed to come and celebrate with you. We should be feeling bad for you. How is ordination a sign of progress in life? Was I ordained to ministry? I was. But it was a dark corner at night. We went for my alumni fellowship. I just got married like a year before that time and then we came to Enugu. So we wanted to start out in Kingdom World Ministries and I went to my brethren and I said, it is time to start. So about five of our brethren, my wife and I knelt down in their midst and they laid hands on us and they sent us back to Enugu to come and start printing tracts and preaching the gospel. That was my ordination. There's no certificate. There was no cook. Nobody shared Fanta. Most people did not even know it happened. And did you, have you ever cared about it? I don't know why people worry about some things. Do you know some people follow some ministries only because of promotion? You know, they feel as if we joined them two years ago. Now, no, last year I was an usher. Now I'm now senior usher. Now from uh, head usher, I'm now going to become what? Assistant deputy pastor. Then from there one day, and you know, it, it may sound funny, but do you know people plot this? In case you are like that, you are here, let me just tell you. The Lord said I should tell you, I've been wasting your time for a very long time. And if you want me to forgive you, go tomorrow and go and resign the post. Continue the work you are doing in your church, but reject that post. Because it has been for you a sign of spirituality, a spiritual progress, that's the word. It has been for you a sign of progress. So I want you to know you have not made any progress. Resign. Go back to the church and become an usher again. Nothing wrong with being an usher. Walk with them. But please drop the title. It's not a sign of progress. His words are abiding you. Back to what I was trying to say. You don't choose churches because of who is going to promote you. you know, some would actually put it. When they get the promotion, they put the sticker on their car. Deacon. Have you seen it before? I find it very amazing. I'm so proud of it. Listen to me, child of God. It's not a sign of progress. Let his words abide in you. Make up your mind. Whether you want human promotion or that guy who doesn't promote anybody. Sunday morning, everybody goes to church. He preaches from 9 o'clock till 12 o'clock, releasing the word of God. After that, you share grace and you go home. And you have been listening to him like that for the last three years. And it's not plan. You know, there are some pastors, eh? They will not even greet you. This one is not planning to. He has never greeted you. You didn't come to church for six weeks. He did not notice. There are those who will take offense at that. I'm not going to that church again. Why? I was not there for six weeks. He did not notice. Did you go there for notice me? No, ask yourself. Was that the reason you went? If somebody is sharing out money, every time you come, he gives you 5,000 naira, And then you didn't go for four weeks. 
And next time you came, he just gave you the 5,000. I didn't ask where were you for four weeks. Will you get angry and walk away? Say, this man said he's not kind. Every time we come, we donate for five, he will give us 5,000 naira. Then I didn't come for four weeks. He asked me why I have not come for four weeks. I'm not coming again. Let me ask you a question. Will it cross your mind? There are people who think coming to church, they are doing somebody a favor. That is why you think the pastor should be asking where you have been. And if he does not ask, you get angry and you walk away. It's because you thought you were doing him a favor. If you came there to learn the word, I've been to a church before where the pastor had a very bad habit. He didn't greet people. You can be talking to him like this. Say, Pastor, okay, Moti, how are you? And he'll look at you and walk away while you are talking. In fact, when I, that, that's, when I want to come to my church, I say, please let me warn you ahead of time. My pastor is not nice. I used to warn people ahead. And he used to, he had one habit again. When he's preaching, I'm looking at your faces. This is how I used to start preaching. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. His eyes will go from the Bible to the ceiling. But he will give you the word for two and a half hours on a Sunday morning. The kind of word that you will not be able to sit down. So whether he greets you or does not greet you, how is that your problem? I don't know whether you're getting my point. It is Look, has a DG of your ministry ever come to your establishment to come and greet the staff there? Your HOD, whether I greet you or not, at the end of the month, as long as salary is complete, there's no need for fight. So when people walk somewhere and say that my, my son's birthday, my, my, my boss did not come. So does that make him a bad boss? No. A bad boss is when he does not pay salaries on time. We judge bosses by their goodness and their, for their goodness and badness, salary time. It's not the time you are where they didn't show up. How is that? How, okay, the one that, I know some, they won't pay salaries, but they will show. <laughs> Three months, they are owing you salaries. But they come to your house, carry your son. Hey, Junior, how are you? Play with him. So that you can't run away. He said, the man is so nice. He uses his niceness to, you know, blindfold everybody. They won't decide. The man is too sweet. Fourth month, he's still owing. Then it, meanwhile, he's changing his own castle. And you still think he's nice. You don't know what they call niceness. Don't greet me. Pay my salary. No, that, that's how church going is also. Listen to me. I'm not saying we shouldn't greet each other. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be nice. I'm just saying those are secondary things that are added. The primary focus when you go to church is the word. No matter how nice they are. No matter how much they hug. No matter how much, you know, they take care of you. If they don't teach you the sound word of God, they are mortgaging your destiny for you. That those who are going to the churches for social structure, that place, at least when you are wedding, you have the sisters to help you do usher. Just stop now. You don't go to church for such. Go and join your village. What do you call that thing? You know? A progressive women union. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> Join those ones if that's what you are looking for. I'm not saying it's really the way the Christians go. But it's better than deciding the church you will go to based on such things. The Lord is good. What am I going to emphasize? 
If you want, that is why I was saying that his words are abiding in us. It's practical decisions we make. It's practical choices we make. We make up our mind where we want to go, where we don't want to go. Who we want to associate with, who we don't want to associate with. We judge, that is, where am I being fed with the word of God? It's not where everybody is nice to me. Because what we want is what? The word. Because he said, once that word is abiding in you, that means you are abiding in Christ. And once you are abiding in Christ, fruitfulness is automatic. Listen to me, not worldly result. Can I quickly say that? Not worldly result. Because sometimes people are judging what is good, what is wrong, by how much material things it is producing. Jesus knows how he's, producing, how he's judging fruitfulness. Let me, t- let me give us an example. The first sign that the word is working in you is not how much money is producing for you. The first sign that the word is working in you is how your character is changing and becoming more like Christ. God takes life stage by stage for us. When you are first exposed to the word of God, it is not money it gives you. There are those who brag that came to this church, you know, I've been, you know, my business has increased. I'm not saying it is bad. Sometimes it will get to that point. But the first sign that God is actually, the word of God is actually working in you, is in the Christ-likeness it is producing inside you. If the word is working, if I like one story, you know, uh, uh, Nicky Cruz told, when he gave his life to Christ, you know the first sign that he was really born again? Now he was a gangster all his life. From the time he was a teenager, he was in the gangs. Fighting, knifing, you know? He was a gang leader. Now, before I tell you one part of him, let me give you the sign. The day he gave his life to Christ, you know the first thing that showed really that this man had changed? He slept. Did you hear what I said? What did I say? He was able to sleep. Before he would not be able to sleep. You see him outside doing tough guy. Tough guy. He, can fight. he never backed away from a fight. If you like, bring the sharpest knife and he doesn't have anything, he won't run away from you. But that night he got home. He said, before he gave his life to Christ, there was a time he killed a bird, you know, a pigeon or something like that. Took it out of the cage and killed it. Do you know why? He was angry. How can you be free? I'm in bondage. Yes, he was angry with the bird. And the bird was free. The bird was flying around and she just took the bird and twisted the neck and killed it. Why? He was that much in bondage. He hated to be alone because once he goes alone, the evil spirits will pounce on him. He had this... Ah, which word do I use now? But he was under oppression. He couldn't get sleep. Sleep through which night? Sleep for 10 minutes, wake up. You know, fear all over him. But when he comes out, you think he's a tough man. The day he gave his life to Christ, he went back home. He laid down. You know what woke him up? The sun that rose the next day. It was when the sun entered into the room and shone on his face that he woke up. He couldn't remember ever sleeping like that. There are people that once they start exposing themselves to the word of God, truly, <laughs> it is sleep that's the first sign that they are changing. Because before, worry will keep you awake till 1 a.m. and wake you up at 3.30 you can't remember sleeping three hours at a stretch in the last five hours, in five, five years. 
Then once you start exposing yourself to the word of God, the first thing you start noticing is that to, I mean, to stay awake is not the new problem. Because once you hit the bed, you dissolve. To wake you up, they have to go and bring, you know, this thing they used to turn about when we were young those days. That wouldn't be. He said, when you do stop sleeping, you start sleeping like this. He said, there's no more worry in my life. And this is interesting, but you won't even know it's happening. The word is just coming and taking away the worries one by one. You tell you, ah, your son, ah, he didn't do well. He didn't get an admission. He didn't get an admission. I said, your wife is telling you you are falling asleep. You're not even concerned. Oh, my God, what do you want me to do? Don't worry, let him try again. Apply another university and then you fall asleep again. Last day, you know what you'll have done? You'll have picked your phone. From A to Z, you are checking who you know where, who you don't know. And you are complaining. You have, you have slapped the boy three times for not getting an A in a particular subject that you never learned all your life. <laughs> that slap is worried. There's not, see, you are not, you know, you know they call worried. You are worried. You have not seen people beating children because they felt sick. Once my wife was pregnant, she went to, to go and do a normal ultrasound scan. One woman came with a little boy. When they told her the price of the scan, she gave the boy a knock. <laughs> no, true story. She began to push the boy. What is wrong with you? Why are you falling sick? My wife had to inter- no, intervene. Madam, this little boy, did he plan to fall sick? She now brought out money. <laughs> okay, how much is short? She now paid so that the boy will stop suffering in the hands of the mother. No, she wasn't really angry with him. She was frustrated. She was frustrated. Many people are not sleeping. It's frustration. So when the word of God starts affecting you, you just start sleeping. People now think you have become careless. And tell them when you were careful, what did you produce? What I want to say is not the joke. There are people that doctors will reduce their dose of antihypertensives just for going to church regularly for two months. Before, three tablets to keep the blood pressure normal. Then she'll come and say, ah, I collapsed two times. Doctor said, ah, the blood pressure is too low. They'll remove one tablet. I still can't stand straight. Blood pressure is still too low. they remove the second one. Finally, they leave only one. They say, ah, madam, what has been happening? I don't know. We used to need three tablets to keep you, <laughs> no, your blood pressure normal. What is happening now? I don't know. What you don't know is that every time you sit down to hear the word of God, it's removing the reasons why you are hypertensive. On top of that, it's healing the damaged kidneys, the damaged heart, the damaged blood vessels. And blood pressure is, com- blood pressure is coming down, coming down, until one day you forget to take the tablet. I know the Holy Spirit does that. Don't make you forget. One whole month, you don't take one tablet. Then you go to see the doctor next time. and say, oh, your blood pressure is under very good control. He said, doc, let me confess. I'm not taking this tablet in one month. What? Our blood pressure is okay. It's just 110 over 80. 110 over 70. Eh. Have you been drinking? I'm not drinking anything strange. Let me tell you the way the word of God works. Sometimes you will not even know what happened. You will not even, you know, you won't even link it to what you have been hearing. He said, they are medicine, that's my word, to all their flesh. That's why I would declare all the time. He's healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more 
like the Lord Jesus. That's what the word does, as a matter of fact. It does that. So I'm emphasizing to us again, listen, bearing fruit is automatic if we pay attention to the right things. Let me explain to us again. Bearing fruit is automatic. We bear fruit in every area. It's not just material fruit. The one that used to get angry easily before hardly gets angry now. Why? The word is working. The one that used to worry so much before doesn't worry as much as he or she used to. Why? The word is working. Those are the first things that the word does in you. It brings out Christ-likeness. I remember we discussed this, the different messages before. I think earlier this year, there are two kinds of fruits. The first fruit that God is looking for is the fruit of what? Christ-likeness in us. That is the first one. That's where he begins from. That is the first thing he looks for. So, as we are bearing these fruits, please, next thing I want to bring up, remember what, what I was talking about? Grace for fruitfulness. What is grace? Grace is God's power to get results in our lives. Grace is the power of God that is released into us to produce the result that he is looking for. Grace is not, you know, he said, um, we are saved by grace. You know what we think? It means, I didn't work for it. Somebody else did it. That is 10% of the truth. When I say 10%, it is true. It is accurate. But in the whole picture, that's not even more than 10%. That is the fact that you didn't work for it. That's not the meaning of grace. When grace says you didn't work for it, what the emphasis is that a power was used and it's not your power. We lay the emphasis on what? It was not my power. But what the Bible lays emphasis on is power was used. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That's what grace means. Let us assume now, you, you are owing 70 million. Imagine it. <laughs> so, they're supposed to come and sell you, your wife and your children tomorrow. And then, <laughs> then before that time, somebody comes, clears your debt. You understand? You get your account, it has left red, it's now blue. Or is it black? And then, and now it's now, it's even really a positive 500,000 naira. You that was, you were in red yesterday for 70 million. And you did not know where it was going to come from. Where you paid. Then somebody that comes to you. Of course. They said, how did you come out of debt? He said, it's by grace. And what you mean is that I didn't do anything. Are you getting my point? But let us assume it's Pastor Kimuti that paid. When I go and meet him, how did he come out of debt? He said, it's by grace. What he means is that I paid the money. I don't know what I do. Are you getting what I'm going to say? To you, you don't know who paid. You just know you are free. Your emphasis is what? I didn't do anything. But to him, he says, I said, how did he come out? If he says it's by grace, what he means is that you did not do anything, but I had to cough up 70 million naira plus. Many times we say by grace. What we mean is I didn't do anything. But when the Bible says by grace you have been saved, it means your salvation was costly. Somebody paid it, not you. We look at that salvation thing as like, you know, it's just free, it's just free, it's just free. No, that's not what it means. What it means is that somebody paid, but it is not you. That's the meaning of what? Grace. Please bear it in mind. Alright? I'm going somewhere. Now, for us to be fruitful in life, therefore, I'm emphasizing, it requires power. But it's not our power, it's what? The power of God. 
how do we tap into it? It's simple. By constantly abiding in Christ. How do we abide? By making sure that his words abide in us. Bear that in mind. Now, when we start bearing fruit like that, like we're saying, Christ-likeness is coming. It's showing more in our lives. The reason why God gave us life, the ministry we have for him on this earth, is, being, is producing. Then God now says we'll go to a higher level. We've been discussing that. Remember that. And what does that mean? We, we call it what? What's the word? Pruning. Thank you. What's the word? Pruning. We are being pruned. Now, last time I preached, now that, I've not gotten to what I want to preach today. All the way I've been struggling to get there. I've reached there. Last time I explained that why do people stay on one level and they don't go to the next level? Can you remember the reason? It's because the cost of the next level is really very high. That Jesus was on using his life as an example, was on 60-fold, just as an example, when he raised Lazarus. But for him to hit the 100-fold, remember 100-fold means everything that God created you to do is being done. 100-fold means that there is not one line of God's plan for your life that you're not fulfilling. That's a 100-fold. So for Jesus to hit a 100-fold, we said that meant he had to go to where? The cross. And we said that that is where many people lose it. That's where they draw back. When I finished preaching last time, if you were not scared, you are very bold. <laughs> because sometimes the hundredfold thing becomes, let's leave it like that. Let's manage the sixty. Even if it's thirty, let's leave it. Because this cross thing is hard. Think about it. Abraham did not have a child for a very long time. Then he had one called Ishmael. And then God said, and I mean, how can your first son, he grew up with you, he was like thirteen when Isaac was born, right? And then a few years after Isaac was born, they said the boy should go away. The Bible says clearly that thing was grievous. Let's even go backwards. Abraham, leave your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. Literally a land into which I will be your guide. It's not easy. You were comfortable before. You were not complaining. Let Ishmael go. It's not easy. Now, what, that's to take to 60-fold. 60, 60 then to take Abraham to 100-fold, what happened? One day, he had to sacrifice Isaac, the only one left. Ishmael has gone. Then the one I waited for, from the time God called me at the age of 75, till the age of 100. And like, I mean, if you have studied enough, and he was not a child. By that time, he was like 30, between 30 and 40, when God said, go and sacrifice him. That was hard. But again, that was necessary for hundredfold. There is no way of getting to the hundredfold until we are pruned. And listen, we are living with eternity in view. So you, you don't want to live life, God gave you a hundred years. At the end of a hundred years, you know you are dying thirtyfold. Listen, if God showed me the bank you try, it's thirtyfold. You know the truth? I will cry. I will be, you can't, you wouldn't be able to console me. He said, but you are going to heaven. I'll say, but I'm going 30. I'm telling the truth. I will be inconsolable. I want to tell you another one that will surprise you. If God showed me it was 99, I still will feel bad. Do you know why? One percent for eternity is great. 